Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple, teaching the people. Can you hear me? With my microphone? Right on. No point standing up here talking if nobody hears me. So we are uh, in Acts chapter 5, and we're looking at uh, verses 12 to 42. It's a lot of verses to look at in one service, but guess what? We're going to do it. So if you uh, have your Bibles, please take them. Let me just quickly remind you of what we talked about last week. Last week, we saw something new, something that had never happened before. And uh, really, it was, I guess you could say it was really the very first big case of grievous sin that brought the judgment of God. Ananias and Sapphira, they sold some land, and uh, they decided that they were going to do what Barnabas did. They were going to take the proceeds from the sale of the property. They were going to put it at the apostles' feet. And I guess they thought that they would look uh, pretty amazing. They would look just as good as Barnabas. How many know today that when we do anything... We do it as unto God, and we do not do it so that people will applaud us or tell us how wonderful we are, right? That's right. That's why when we tell you there's 44 boxes that are hampers that we've been able to, uh, to raise money for, we don't give you the names of the people that did that. We just celebrate the good things that God has done. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, in a very public display, they went uh, before the apostles, laid the money at their feet, and uh, what they didn't know, what they didn't realize, is that although they had their secret plans, those plans were not secret to God. How many know that today? When, were, when will we ever learn that? So they came, and, the, and, and so here's what Peter says. So why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? And I says, what? Why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? And instantly he was struck dead. What happened? Well, they decided that they were going to give the proceeds from the sale of the land, but not all of it. They're going to keep back a little bit for themselves. And so, as I said last week, uh, there was Sapphira. She went out shopping. I don't know what she was doing, but she was three hours late for church, so she was up to something. And uh, when she came in, and of course, she was confronted as well. And, uh, and so fear, the Bible says, fear gripped the church, the entire church, and not only the church, but that everyone else heard about what had happened. God is still the holy God of Israel, and he calls us to be holy. And so what happened here is God made it very clear to the early church and to every generation after, this is not a game. 
This is, this is not just a, a religious club you're part of. We are engaged in worship of the almighty living God. Let me read to you uh, Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 6. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Why wouldn't they join them? They were terrified of this, of this God who is holy. And again, a, a God you don't play games with. You don't come to God on your own terms. You don't, you don't, you don't play around with, with the things of the Lord. But the Bible says in verse 14, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. So what's happening here is that people, although they're, they're gripped with fear, they recognize that this God is real. This is all very real stuff. And uh, they, they want, obviously they want God in their lives. Well, verse 15 says, as a result of the apostles' work, Sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. And it says, crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. So here's the thing that we recognize about the early church is that people were getting saved on a regular basis. Now, why is it that people were getting saved like that? Well, as you're going to see in just a moment, it was because of the preaching of the gospel. Say it with me, the preaching of the gospel. Well, we'll talk about more of that in just a moment, but understand this. People were coming face to face with the living God. They were discovering that this was not just some religion. It's not one of the many religions that filled the lands, that filled the world, but this was the true and only God, the God of Israel, who had revealed himself through Jesus Christ and then revealed himself again through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of, are you sure of that? On the day of, should we try it again? On the day of, okay, good. I wanna make sure you're with me on this. Okay, so here we go. We read then in verse 17, the high priest and the officials who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. So here's the thing that we see once again. Uh, you'll notice that a couple of weeks ago, I said, I, I brought up the subject of, of persecution. And then I said, and phew, we're done with that, right? But we're not really done with that because here's what you need to know. If you're a Christian today, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you love the Lord, then Jesus has promised there will always be persecution that will follow your confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Does everybody understand that today? Everybody? As long as you've put your faith in Christ, you are following him, you are obeying him, you will indeed experience persecution. And that's exactly what's happening here. I wanna point out to you that word jealous here, and it's, uh, in Greek, it's the word zelu, which, from which we get the word zealous. And it, it, you, need to, you need to understand what this means. It's not just being jealous, but it's a, it's, there's a boiling indignation. Uh, th these men are livid. They're so angry, they are insane. <laughs> They're insane with madness. Has anybody ever experienced that when you're driving? 
Don Kewayton. <laughs> sister, sister Brenda knows what I'm saying. Well, if the Apostle Paul himself, he says that about himself before he became a Christian. We read that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. He was even having people stoned to death. That's, that's how insane these people are. They are insane. Well, where is this coming from? Well, the thing that you need to understand is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest threat to the prince of this world, and his name is Satan. Does everybody get that today? When you preach the gospel, folks, you're going up against Satan himself. All in favor, say aye. All the rest who are a little bit more thoughtful, hmm, is this really what we want to do? But this is exactly what's going on here. These apostles, they know that it's not the high priests and not the officials and the Sadducees that they're making mad. They know that they are stirring up all of hell. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. This is a really good verse. You should, you should know this verse. He says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you wanna know what Satan is doing in this world? I mean, yes, he's stirring up all kinds of problems, but the biggest thing that Satan is doing, and you need to understand this if you're gonna understand what Satan does in the world, he is blinding the eyes of those who are perishing. In other words, those who are not sinners, or those who are sinners, those who don't know Christ, who are not believers, they, they are being blinded by Satan. Because the one thing that Satan wants more than anything is so that people don't know the gospel, don't want the gospel, reject the gospel, avoid the gospel, don't have anything to do with the gospel. So folks, here's what happened. When, when we are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are literally going up to the grizzly bear and we're poking him. And we're doing it up close. <laughs> it's, not, it's not with a long, long pole that you know, we can poke him and run. We're, like, we're getting up really close to him and we are just jabbing him right in the heart. And of course, you know what the grizzly does when you jab him. He doesn't go, oh no, and run away. He, he comes up in, in all his glory and he attacks because he doesn't like it. Satan hates it when we preach the gospel. So you can imagine what Satan's schemes are. We can figure this out. If Satan's gonna do anything, what's he gonna try to do? He's gonna try to get churches to stop preaching the gospel. He's gonna get churches to try to do other things, like have great social justice programs. Satan's fine with that. In fact, he's all in favor. In fact, Satan, if he were here, he would have a sign and he'd be marching right along with us in our social justice programs. As long as we don't preach the gospel, he's fine. We, he does, it doesn't bother him. Feed the hungry, yes, that's great. Clothe the naked, yes. Care for people's needs. Give them education. Give them hospitals. Give them clinics. But don't preach the gospel. Because the minute you preach the gospel, folks, he loses you. And Satan doesn't want to lose you. He wants to take as many of us to hell as he can. Are you getting this? Now do you see why he gets so angry? He does not want the preaching of the gospel. It fills him with jealousy and it fills him with rage. So as long as you belong to Cross Church, here's what I'm gonna guarantee you. As long as you belong to this church, 
We will engage in spiritual warfare every single week, and we will make the declarations of the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets people free. And so what are those declarations? What is the message of life? And here it is. You are a sinner in desperate need of the Savior. Everybody agreed? Well, Satan doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to think, well, you're really a good person. I'm a good person, and you're a good person. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. We're good, we're born basically good, right? If you have any questions about that, read Romans chapter seven. Paul says, makes it very clear, we are all aware, we all perceive what's really in us. The fact is, you're a sinner, and you need saving. And why do we need a savior? Because you can't save yourself. You can't help yourself. Listen, there is a multi-billion dollar industry of, of, of seminars and classes and books that you can take, conferences that you can attend in order to be a better you, to improve you. How many know that trying to improve yourself is like putting lipstick on a pig? I don't care how, in fact, I think if you put lipstick on a pig, it makes the pig look worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's cuter without the lipstick, but it's what we do. And Satan's fine is, if you want to fix yourself, that's great, no problem. But whatever you do, don't admit you're a sinner. Whatever you admit, don't admit that you need a savior. The next thing that we need to understand is that the second death awaits the sinner. That's the punishment of God. This is, what, this is what God, look at before Adam and Eve ever sinned, this wasn't God getting, getting even, losing control, and oh, I'll punish them, I'll kill them. He said, before Adam and Eve ever sinned, he said, don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the day that you do that, you will surely die. That's the punishment. And the second death awaits the sinner. Now, what's the first death? Well, you and I are all gonna die physically. That's not the thing to worry about. And if anybody's here today worried about the phys your physical death, stop it. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If you belong to Jesus, you're with him sooner, that's all. It's the second death, that's the thing we need to be concerned about. And you can read about that in Revelation 20. The next thing you need to understand, these are the declarations, by the way, the declarations of the, the message of life, the declarations of the gospel. And you're gonna see why I keep stressing the declarations thing in just a minute. But the good news is that, and by the way, you know the gospel means good news. The good news is that God's love has sent us the Savior to die for us. Jesus died in our place. He took the punishment upon himself that you and I deserve, the punishment that God promised that Adam and Eve would see. And he, did, he died for us because he loves us. And not only did he die for us, folks, but he was resurrected. Now, because he was resurrected, it proves, first of all, that he is God, that he is perfect, and it means that all who put their faith in the resurrected Christ will one day experience the resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, when you die, no problem. You're gonna be resurrected again. Hallelujah. And same thing with me. And we're gonna see each other in heaven. In fact, I'm hoping that the devils will be living next door to us or nearby, that'd be great. And here's the next good declaration of this gospel message. Eternal life 
is for all who put their faith in Jesus. You can't enjoy the riches of heaven. You cannot enjoy eternal life unless you have indeed put your faith in Christ. And then the next thing that we recognize is that once, once you have been justified, what is justified is a theological term. We talk about justification. In fact, we would say that the whole gospel message is built on that doctrine of justification. If you don't know that word, write it down. You need to know this word. It's an important, it's probably the most important theological term uh, in, in the whole canon of, of theological studies. What does justification mean? It just simply means that we have been made right with God. Whereas before we were a sinner, because we put our faith in Christ, God justified us. And now we are back in a right relationship with, with God, the way it was in the Garden of Eden. Isn't that wonderful news? So we've been justified, and it's a done deal. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Someone say hallelujah. But you say, well, hold on a minute here, pastor, I'm still sinning. Ah, yeah, as long as you're on this planet, you will continue to sin. But, but, the good news is that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. We call this the doctrine of sanctification. He's sanctifying you. He's purifying you. He's making you like Jesus. Remember what we, I just read to you from 2 Corinthians 4, 4. It says that, that uh, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you remember that, that we read in Genesis that we were created in the image of God? Listen, folks, this is what Jesus is doing. He is restoring us to the pre-fall condition of man, where we were created in God's image, and we are reflecting God. So this is, this is that work of sanctifying. Now, how does it work? Well, it simply means that the Holy Spirit is working in us and we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that's why we teach you the nine habits so that you can cooperate with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. You wonder, what is the Holy Spirit doing in me? He's helping you follow in the footsteps of Christ. And these habits are simply what, the way that Jesus lived his life on the earth. That's, that's what we're talking about. So you wanna be sanctified, follow Christ, follow in his steps, do what he did, live the way he lived, adopt and embrace his behaviors and his habits, and watch what happens. You will become more and more like Jesus. In fact, as Paul says it, you will be conformed. You'll be molded. You'll be shaped into the very image of Jesus Christ. You see, you see what, we're, what we're saying here? And by the way, sometimes we go through struggles. Anybody here ever go through a struggle? Anybody going through a struggle right now? Anybody gonna be going through a struggle tomorrow? And, the, and then next week and the week, yeah, of course, as long as we're on this planet. And these struggles, the Bible tells us, God uses them for our good to shape us and to conform us to the image of Christ. So, so as Paul says in, in Romans chapter six, we rejoice in our suffering. No? Absolutely, we rejoice in our suffering, why? Because it's shaping us, it's molding us, it's making us like Jesus, hallelujah. And then finally, when you die, you will be glorified. And for, folks, again, this is another theological term, glorification, so justification, sanctification, and then glorification. And this, is, this my friends, uh, this, this doctrine of glorification is all about 
God's final removal of our sin. And, uh, and everybody says, thank God it's over. And that's what happens when we go to heaven. Now, I want you to recognize something. This message makes Satan jealous. It makes him boiling mad. He does not like it. He does not want people to go over to the light. He wants them to stay in the darkness. This is what Satan wants for everybody. We are, are seeing this in our culture. Uh, the culture, those who are anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-church, anti-Christian, they're saying that Christians are, in fact, culture, cultural terrorists. That's right, they're calling us cultural terrorists because we are saying no to any sexuality that goes outside of biblical teaching. We say no, for instance, to the mutilation of children who are suffering with dysphoria. And you're, we're seeing this now. We're seeing uh, so many young people that are, are being uh, chemically castrated because they feel, well, maybe, I, maybe I'm, I was born as a boy, but maybe I'm really a girl. And we've just recently heard the testimony of a young girl. Her breasts were cut off and they, they, they gave her drugs so that she would become a boy. And then suddenly, in her, I think in her early 20s, she realized, well, hold on a minute here. I don't wanna be a boy. I made a mistake. I really wanna be a girl. Too late. It's over. So Christian, Christianity teaches what, what, what is normal, what God's design is. And Satan will do everything in his power to shut us down, to shut us up, Satan does not want us to preach the message of Jesus Christ or the gospel. And maybe some of you heard in the news this past week about medical-assisted suicide, it's, or medical assistance in dying. It's called MAID, and, uh, and, and the offer to veterans that were you know, tired of life or struggling, whatever, that, that there would be medically-assisted suicide. As though it's like you're just going on a trip to Florida. You're not going on a trip to Florida, you're dead. It's over, and Christianity is saying no to this. God is the giver of life, and he's the one that ends it. We don't have that power. We don't have that right, and anything that steps out of that is, any, anything that steps outside of God's order of things is, in fact, evil. So Satan hates God. He hates his creation, and if you took our worldview class just a few weeks ago, you know that Satan's MO, his modus operandi, is to undo the creation. It's to, it's to reverse what God has called very good. And so Satan is influencing this cultural, this culture towards chaos. And he is the culture now is challenging gender. I always wondered why in the Bible, when it says that God created Adam and Eve, he created the male and female. Why would you put that in there? Well, now we know. Because in 2022, we needed to be told that. We needed to know what God's design was. But Satan wants to undo all of this. He wants to nullify marriage. For, for Adam, God says, here's Eve, this is your wife. And that's it, that's all you get, one. Now, leave your mother and father, cleave to her, and you now will become one flesh. Satan wants to undo that. You need to have multiple sexual partners, and it's normal, and we'll do everything we can, everything in our power to, to help you have as many sexual partners as you want. This is what the culture tells us, and this is what our kids are being bombarded with every day, and this is what you're being bombarded with every day. So you have one sexual partner, you marry that person, and then you're devoted to that person for the rest of your life. 
This is the good news. This is the gospel. Because when you do things God's way, that is when you will experience his joy. And when it comes to sexuality, we know what the norm is. One man and one woman equal a married couple. You didn't know that? Yes, God is the one who has to tell us what normal is. Because folks, I'm going to tell you something. Right now in the world today, we are not living in, in a post-Christian world anymore. We are now living in, in what we could call a pre-Christian world. We, it's as if Christianity never even touched us. It's like we never, ever even had Christianity here. All these people who are coming from third world countries to North America, they're thinking, oh good, we're gonna enjoy all the, all the wonders and the splendors of the West, the West that was built on Judeo-Christian values, they're all gone now. And now the same levels of lawlessness that you experience in third world countries is now gonna be experienced here. The same sort of, of uh, oppression, the same sort of, uh, of uh, a financial uh, struggle is gonna be happening here. It's, it's coming, it's just a matter of time now. We are now living in what you, we could call a pre-Christian culture, a culture of paganism, a culture of heathenism. Now, let me just remind everybody. So we, we, just, we, we, we reviewed the fact that you and I are gonna experience opposition, we're gonna experience persecution. So here's the other thing that you need to understand now is that the preaching of the gospel is still top priority. So sometime in the 1980s, Pentecostals uh, became more charismatic. I still remember clearly in 1982, Charles Yates, one of the, one of the PAOC general executive, he stood up and made a declaration. He said, I want to remind everybody today that we as Pentecostals are not charismatics. You say, what's the difference? Well, the difference is is that the charismatics are focusing on the signs and the wonders, the miracles, and, and the so-called spiritual gifts. Whereas Pentecostals, at that t- at, up to that point, were still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is, this is what we understood as Pentecostals. We understood that signs and wonders followed the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The emphasis was not the miracles. It wasn't the signs and the wonders, but the signs and the wonders followed. In Mark 6, verse 20, it says, the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So that's the way it was for us. And folks, this is exactly what's happening here. Look at this. So we read in Acts 5, 19 to 21, but an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. Are you kidding, Peter and John and disciples? You were just thrown in jail? But look at the angel of the Lord showed up. Now look at, if you were a charismatic and and the new Pentecostal, the emphasis here would be on the angel and then the escape from jail, the miracle. But you need to understand that what really matters here is the preaching of the message of life. Do you understand what I'm saying today? So I hear people say that. I don't know why we don't see more signs and wonders. The reason you don't see signs and wonders is because you don't see the preaching of the gospel anymore. Preach the gospel and watch what God will do. Watch how God will confirm his message. Are you with me on this? 
the message of life. What is the message of life? Actually, in Greek, it's the declarations. And we just went through that, didn't we? The declarations of, of the gospel. And then, again, the declarations. You're a sinner, desperate, desperate need of the Savior. The second death awaits you. The gospel is the good news that Jesus sent his son to die for us. These are the declarations. These are, this is the declarations of life. Here, it's translated as message. Fine, but you need to know that that there is a specific message of life. Now, God doesn't say go and tell the people how an angel visited you and how an angel got you out of prison. No, go and preach the gospel. It's about the gospel, stupid. Can I say that? (laughs) Willem just gave me thumbs up, so I'll say it again. It's about the gospel, stupid. That is it. That's what we're about. That's what we do. That's what happens every Sunday when you come to church at Cross Church. You're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And if God needs to do something miraculous, he'll do it. But we're not going to sweat that out. We're, going to, we're not going to be looking for this. We're just going to be doing what God told us to do and then watch what God will do. And then we read in, in Acts 5, 21b to 27, when the high priest and his officials arrived, they, they convened the high council, which is called the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. <laughs> huh? They're gone. So they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside with their, with their finger up their nose. Well, it doesn't say that, but. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. Imagine how embarrassed they were, these guards. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering, where will, where, where will it all end? Then someone arrived with startling news. I love this. Don't you love this? Oh, my goodness. It's, kind of, it's actually quite funny. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people again. Oh, my goodness. The, the captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. <laughs> Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. And here's what he says. He says, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. He said, instead you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him and you want to make us responsible for his death. Oh, can you imagine the rage, the anger the indignation, the fury, the wrath, they're seething. They couldn't get more angry. Well, <laughs> Peter and the apostles, they picked a fight with Satan and all of hell showed up. And folks, that's what happens every time we preach the gospel. That's what happens. Hey, listen, I want to tell you something. The Sanhedrin is furious. The Sanhedrin, of course, is the high council of Jerusalem. The the, the new Sanhedrin, in case you're wondering, in case you're wondering what's the parallel today in 2022, the new Sanhedrin are are politicians. 
politics, the media, and all the famous people who are all telling us how to behave and what to think. Have you noticed that? They're going to tell us what to think, and it's the educators. They're going to tell us what to believe, what to think, what, to, what our value system should be. And here's a, here's a sad and shocking thing, that the churches are all obeying. But not this church, but many churches are obeying. They're doing exactly what all the politicians and all the teachers and the media and all the famous people are telling them to do. Folks, we're, uh, we're not politically correct here. And I'll tell you why. It's not because we want to be insensitive uh, uh, and, and cruel. We don't, it's not we're trying to be culturally insensitive. No. We're trying to proclaim the truth. Because what we're seeing happen here, this is so critical that you understand what's going on. We're seeing a war between two worldviews. It's the worldview of Scripture versus the worldview of everybody else. Now, we know that the Christian worldview produces glorious results. We've seen this in the West. I'm not saying that everything has been good, but you know, for a world that's fallen and sinful, it was pretty much as good as you can get. I heard one, one man say that what happened in America, the founding of America and how it all was established was a modern-day miracle. But it's all falling apart now because people have rejected Christ. And so churches are obeying this, these new commands from, from the politicians, the media, and the famous people. Churches have become woke and culturally in tune. I had people leave, we had people leave this church a few years ago because, because Pastor Allen refused to bend the knee and to bow to these new cultural mandates. I refused to do it. Why? because I have one message, and it's the message of Jesus Christ. It's the declarations of the message of life. It's not that I'm trying to be difficult, it's not that I'm trying to be insensitive, but I've been given a mandate, and someday I will stand before God and I will have to give an account. What am I gonna say? Well, I was afraid you were gonna throw me in jail. Tell Peter that. Cross Church preaches the gospel. And you and I also must share the gospel and we must stand for the gospel. We must believe the gospel. We must proclaim the gospel. Folks, every Sunday, every sermon must have the gospel in it. You understand that? It must point to Christ. It must point to Christ as the only hope and the only solution for the craziness of our world. Now, you would think, <laughs> you would think that this would be enough for Peter and the apostles, right? They'd say, all right, all right we, we give. I mean, you'd think it was enough provocation, enough fury for one day, right? I mean, enough already, Peter. But no, no, no. Not only is Peter not afraid of hell or of Satan or the high priests or the Pharisees. He's not afraid of the Sadducees. He's not afraid of Caesar. And he's certainly not afraid of 100,000 centurions. Not afraid of all any of that. Remember, he's a scaredy cat. A little girl says, hey, didn't you, didn't you walk with Jesus one day? He swears at her. But now, this new man full of the Holy Spirit, look at this. Watch this. Peter, are you crazy? 
But Peter and the apostles replied to these, these insanely angry leaders, well, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him. Peter, can't you choose your words a bit better? Oh my goodness. You killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. There's the gospel again, my friends. And this is what you and I need to do. We need to grow a backbone. We need to grow a Christian backbone. We need to grow a Christian backbone. Thank you, Brenda. We need to start being like these early believers. Tell the truth. They weren't trying to insult anybody. They're just telling the truth. But this world doesn't like the truth. But we know that when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so Peter goes on to say in verse 32, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. Because that's what you do when you don't like to hear the truth. I know, we'll kill them. Right? Let's just kill them all. Folks, if that's not inspired by hell, I don't know what is. But are you getting the, are you getting the pattern here? Are you seeing what's happening here? We are at war. And folks, if you're here today thinking that this is something new that's just, just started up, this has always been. The, war, the world is at war with Christ, with his church, with the gospel of truth. And so then we see, but one member of the Pharisee, after they were wanting to kill him, one member of the Pharisee named uh, Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, he stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while so they could have a little conversation so they couldn't hear. Then, verse 38, then, or verse 35, then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was that fellow, Thevis, who pretended to be someone great. And about 400 others joined him, but he was killed, and all his followers, followers went their various ways, and that was the end of that. The whole movement came to nothing. And then after him, verse 37, at the time of the census, there, there was Judas of Galilee. That's another Judas. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. And then here's these golden words. So my advice is this. Leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things uh, merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. How many know today that anything done in our own power will not stand? It won't last. But, but, if it's from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Anybody getting chills going down their arms and their legs right now? I am. If this is from God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. 
Every politician, every media outlet, every actor, every educator that sets himself or, or herself up against God goes against God himself. And so no wonder Peter was bold and understood exactly what power and what authority he was functioning in. He was functioning in the authority and the power of Almighty God, the God of the universe. My friends, don't be afraid. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Fear not. Don't be afraid. You're nothing to fear. God's in control. This from God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. In other words, he's saying they'll win no matter what. Well, it turns out, folks, that this movement that the apostles were part of was from God. And nothing can stop God. How many know that today? Not the high priest, not the governor Pilate, not Herod, not Caesar, not all the Roman uh, uh, centurions. Nothing could stop the mighty move of God. Nothing could stop the greatest message ever proclaimed because nothing can stop Christ. Nothing could stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. Nothing could stop the church. No evil dictator, no communist, no fascist, no political party, nothing that sets itself up against God can prosper. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not triumph. It won't prevail. The church will march on and it will overcome. Does everybody understand that today? So 2,000 years later, <laughs> oh, you dinglings, 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, the greatest, the greatest movement on earth. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. For though we walk in the flesh, that is in, in, in human frailty, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Folks, that's the gospel we're preaching. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ, folks, it utterly destroys Satan and his lies and his deception and his work on earth. Now you know why Satan doesn't sit back and let us preach the gospel unmolested. He's gonna do everything in his power to stop us. But if our church will agree, if we'll sign the contract, we will no longer preach the gospel. He'll leave us alone. He'll let us, he'll let us be. But I'm gonna tell you that. The moment, the day that we sign that contract and say we will not preach the gospel, we won't be offensive to anybody, we're not gonna offend anybody, we're just gonna get along with the culture, we're gonna be culturally sensitive. In that day will be the day that this church dies the way thousands of churches are dying even today and around North America and this world. This church is committed to preaching the gospel. Michael, even if it kills me and even if it kills you. Oh, you're in agreement? Wow. Powerful stuff, people. Why does Satan come against us for preaching the gospel? Because truth sets people free. And Satan has, been, has got a place reserved for him. It's called the lake of fire. It's the second death and he wants to take as many of us with him as he can. You need to understand what his end game is. If you don't understand his end game, you won't understand what he's doing here and now. 
Oh my, Romans 12, 2 says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. When you and I, when we are committed to the truth, when we are committed to doing what God tells us to do, which is to preach the gospel, then we'll know exactly what is right and what is not right. And I'm gonna tell you, you won't find me trying to appease anybody when they come to church on Sunday. This is not a seeker-sensitive church because the Bible tells us clearly that those who are not converted are not seekers. But those whom God is working on by his spirit, they are here seeking because God is enabling them to come here and to seek. You're not here today by accident. You're here by God's design because the gospel is an offense. It confronts, it challenges. So we don't tiptoe around afraid to offend because the truth is offensive by nature. I love the way Hebrews put that the word of God is a double-edged sword. It demolishes Satan's lies. The lies and the deception that have enslaved people for millennia. You know, I saw, I saw a, a show called Animal Rescue. Has anybody seen that? And you see this, these poor abused dogs chained up with no food, no grass, just, just mud, dirt. And as the, as the rescuer comes towards that poor animal, the dog is snarling and he's snapping and he's biting and he wants to, he wants to hurt the one who's trying to rescue him. We understand, folks, as we go into this broken world, that people will be angry and they will be snarling and they'll be biting at us. But we understand that these people are abused souls and we understand that they see even God as a threat. But they need to hear the good news. They need to hear the gospel. They need to discover that there is somebody who loves them and then they will respond. So my friends, rise up and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And don't worry about the snarling and the biting and the snapping. And they are, they're, gonna, they're gonna be trying to hurt you. That's okay, bring it on. Because ultimately you have the words of life. You have the declarations of the gospel of Jesus Christ that will release them from their captivity. And let me just close with this. So the... Uh, the Sanhedrin accepted the advice of Gamaliel and they called in the apostles and had them flogged, beaten, beaten. Then they ordered the apostles never again to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. And then watch this response. We'll close with this. The apostles left the high council after, beaten, after being beaten and flogged they went rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. <clears throat> and every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept on doing what they were doing before. Flog us, kill us, do whatever you want to us. We're not gonna stop. We're gonna continue to preach the gospel. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they, committed, they continued to teach and preach the message Jesus is the Messiah, the one sent from God. Stand with me, please. Father, we thank you now for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is a lamp for our feet. We thank you, O oh God, that 
In your word are the words of life. Father, we pray now in Jesus' name, would you give us the grace, the wisdom to embrace this gospel with all our hearts and proclaim it to those who are, who are lost and perishing, understanding, Lord, it is what they really need. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Amen. Tell the person beside you, go share the gospel. Amen. <clears throat>